1: This is Henry Lopez and welcome to this episode of the How of Business. I have a great guest with us today, Philip McKernan. Philip, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on, Henry. I'm so excited to have you on, Philip. Let me give our listeners a bit of background on you and then we'll chat about it. Uh, Philip is an inspirational speaker, an author, and a filmmaker. And I just watched his latest film, or actually his first documentary film last night. Uh, He works with entrepreneurs and business leaders all over the world to help them see clarity about their future and or to help them with uh, or get through roadblocks that are seen or unseen. He helps people get clear on who they are and where they need to go so they feel aligned in all areas of life, something that a lot of us, I know I do struggle with, so looking forward to chatting about that. Uh, very recently or, or in the past here recently, he worked with the Canadian Olympic team, the Pentagon, and has shared the stage with other speakers like the Dalai Lama and Richard Branson, one of my hero entrepreneurs. Uh, He's got a knack of getting into all sorts of trouble or different scenarios, and we'll chat about that. He's had an incredibly interesting life. And he has enjoyed a broad range of experiences that we'll chat about as well. His documentary film that I alluded to is called "Give and Grow," which I had an opportunity to watch. Wonderful film, very well produced, beautiful cinematography, and of course the message is impactful and powerful. It was released just this past year, and it explores how the gift, um, the gift of giving makes us feel worthy and alive and it explores the science behind that the science of the impact of giving on our emotional well-being, our mental health, health, our physiology and our businesses. So we're going to look at it from that slant as well in this episode for our listeners is how does this help us this focus on finding our gift? How does it help us not just in our personal lives, but of course then how it translates into our businesses? And so that's what we're going to chat about with Philip, his experiences, how he got to where he is now, that journey that he undertook, and what he means by finding our gift and how does that translate into making us more effective entrepreneurs and happier people and better business people. So once again, Philip McKernan, welcome to the show. Yeah,
0: thanks, Henry. I appreciate it.
1: Great. So as we were chatting before the call, obviously I'm in Colorado often and know that area very well. So what took you to Boulder? How long have you been there and what took you there?
0: So we've been in Boulder about four or five months and uh, prior to that living in Canada for nine years and obviously originally from Ireland, as, as your listeners may guess from the accent. Um, I jokingly answered this question last week by saying we smoke lots of pot, we ski, <laughs> we do lots of skiing, we have lots of clients, lots of friends and lots of family in Boulder, Colorado, of which none of that is absolutely true. Not that I judge anybody for smoking, I just never got into it. Um, to me, it, it's 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 I suppose it's, somewhat typical of how I live my life today and I don't want to come across as too fluffy so earlier on in the interview but it uh, it just felt right and um, you know it just it felt like a great place to base ourselves for our family and not just because it's centrally based in the US um, it just it, it just felt like the right place to be when we came through for a few days to check it out and uh, that's the best I can tell you right now so so far so good
1: because it, it's you, your wife, and you have a daughter and a son, I believe.
0: Correct. A little girl, uh, Maggie, who's co- who's five, and a little boy, Charlie, who's seven.
1: So uh, they're in school already. So that, that obviously had an impact on them and changing schools. And how has that been going? Well, I think what we did,
0: and I'm not suggesting we did this better than other parents that look to transition. But I, I do I feel a parenting is a lot about telling our kids what, what they're doing and what they should and shouldn't do. And um, for us, uh, we try to make them inclusive in the decision making process, despite the fact that they're five and seven years old. Uh, I think kids, um, I certainly underestimate my, my children all the time. I every day I underestimate the, the, the capacity they have for uh, emotional um, and intellectual awareness. So we actually kept them abreast of our thinking and, and the why behind moving from Canada to the United States and why we're doing that. Uh, So it was no surprise to them. And in the end, I won't tell you the full story, but I'll never forget the day we sat in a restaurant in Boulder and I was about to uh, tackle the conversation, which I was a bit nervous about. And my little boy, seven years old says, guys, what are we doing? And I said, excuse me, he says, are we moving to Boulder or what? And um, so he he initiated the conversation and I said, well, raise your glass if you wanna move to Boulder. So everyone raised their glass. So in 20 years time, if his psychiatrist rings me and says, you've messed up your boy's life by dragging, <laughs> dragging him away from his friends in Vancouver, I'm going to say bullshit because actually it was his decision and I'll throw it right back in his face. That's
1: right. But do you have <laughs> any documentation? Do you have recorded no, proof I rec- Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I should have recorded it. No doubt. This it, is such an interesting topic for me and I listened to and doing my research, uh, A presentation you had done where you talked about parenting and I will paraphrase and leave out some of the expletives, which were great, but to the effect of that, no matter what we do, we're going to mess up our kids in our own way. And, and I, I so agree with that. I, I have a daughter. She's off to college now, and it was our only child. But I remember very clearly when she was about to be born, when my wife was pregnant with her, I picked up one of those classic books on child rearing, and it just hit me about two chapters. And I said, you know what? This is BS. I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to damage my child in my own way, because that's just the way it is. And I'm just going to do what I do. You know, I'm just going to try my best.
0: Yeah. Yes, it's absolutely true. I mean, I, I <clears throat> definitely not the the way I've delivered historically, not the most inspirational in the world. But the point of it is very, very well thought out and uh, and very sincere. And that is, no matter what we do as parents, no matter how hard we try, we're going to mess our kids up, or we're going to leave them with some negative baggage, as well as some beauty and positivity, which we all obviously hope. And what what a lot of people instantly do is they judge that statement. They go, oh, great. Well, if that's the case, well, why should I even bother? And of course, that is not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that parents put themselves under so much pressure. Perfectionism in this world is just rampant. And we're all looking for perfectionism. And yet it just simply does not exist. And it holds us back in our businesses. It holds us back in, in our risk tolerance. It holds us back in relationships. And it definitely holds us back in parenting. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying. That's the point. We're trying so hard to never prevent And the past, to never, never allow our children to feel the pain or the disconnection, the hardship that we, 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 we face, which by the way, is not setting them up for success. It's actually protecting them in cotton wool. And then eventually when they have to be released into the wild, um, they're not ready for it. Um, so to me, it's about letting them go a little bit, not giving up. And they're very, very different things. Letting go and giving up are not the same thing. So if you can let your kids go a little bit emotionally, let them fly, let them fall, let them cry, let them laugh and uh, give yourself the, 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 the peace of mind knowing that you're doing your best and that even if you do leave them with some baggage, it certainly
1: wasn't intended. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think that's so, so brilliant. We, we learned to some extent that lesson the hard way because we tended to be overprotective, but what it brings me to now is what you talk about in the film is this concept, as you put it so eloquently about, we pick up these masks along the way starting in childhood. I know I did for all kinds of different reasons. When I was a kid, we moved around a lot. And that's why this point of, I asked you about this move was personal to me as well, because it impacted me rather negatively, but I believe wholeheartedly, as I look back at it now, that the reason it impacted me negatively is I had a very strained at best relationship with my father. So the dynamics of our family were far from sound and that exacerbated the impact the cultural impact, if nothing else, of the move. We went from South Florida to Venezuela, and it was a very shocking experience. But again, it's because of the dynamics that existed or didn't exist in my family. But talk to me about this concept of picking up masks and what that does to us later in life.
0: Yeah, I I think we pick up masks primarily because we want to fit in. Um, You know, I think if I had to try to simplify, that's the best way I could do it. And for me personally, um, I know I started picking up maths from a very early age. I used to say 15, 16. I think I was doing it since I was, I was 10. And what I mean by that is like little, little subtle things like using, you know, uh, profanities or F-bombs in a, in, a, you know, in an environment where you, you didn't necessarily even want to, but you were doing it to try and fit in and be cool with the gang in school. Or you picked up a cigarette um, because you, not that you desperately wanted to smoke, but you just didn't want to stand out. And and it's even as subtle as those 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 things. Ultimately, I think we we so desperately want to fit in. And and one of the best examples and something that some of us, or if not all of us, can at least get our heads around is you you've got a, a tall Uh, beautiful-looking young uh, teenager or even younger again, uh, typically what they'll do is, and it's very, very well documented, that they'll start to round their shoulders and kind of stoop a little bit because they simply don't want to stand out. Men do it as well, but we particularly see it in, 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 in females. And they don't want to stand out. They don't want to be seen. And what ends up happening is many, many years later in life, when we finally start to remove some of those core masks, if we were prepared to do the work and be courageous to do that, we start to kind of realize that, Jesus, I, I don't just want to fit in, I want to stand out for who I am and I want to recorrect that posture. I want to take the mask off. I want to be seen for my oddness, for my unique uh, individuality. But we, we, we basically take on masks. The challenge is we get into the habit of taking on these masks, what we end up doing is conforming to the environment in which we find ourselves. we try to fit in. And it's a very, very human, deep psychology that's going on around that. But then we continue to do it. We continue to do it in school, we do it in college, we do it in business, we do it in the boardroom, we do it in the bedroom in some cases. And it just keeps going on and on and on. And eventually, what ends up happening is those masks weigh on us. They're they're like, they're, they're like, they pull our head forward, they pull us down and um, it becomes exhausting and then eventually if we're lucky enough to realize the sadness of the fact that we've lost a lot of our direction, we've moved away from who we are, we've become something that we're not at our core or we're doing work and a lot of the stuff in our external life is not a reflection of who we are, in other words the businesses and the work we do is not an extension of who we are, it's just something we do but it's not authentically aligned. What happens is if we start to look at those masks, we realize that the weight of carrying those masks, the weight of trying to keep everybody happy and keeping this facade up is exhausting. Now, some people might take that as a judgment. It's not. It's, it's, I say it with great sincerity, immense compassion. I think all human beings wear masks. The objective is never to get rid of all of them, but to remove as many as possible so the world gets to see you for who you really, really, really
1: are. Right, to remove the ones that really are not us that don't represent who we really are. Uh, But having said that, regardless of the weight, most of us will carry them, wear them to our death because it's so hard to remove them. The the fear of it is something that a lot of us never overcome, right?
0: I agree. And and somebody said to me in a podcast interview four or five months ago, they said, how did you... Become so authentic, and how did you remove all your mask? And I so, said, Well, you're making two natural assumptions, which, with respect, are incorrect. One is I, I don't believe I'm a hundred percent authentic. I don't think I ever will be. I, I'm more authentic now than I've ever been. But the objective is never perfection. The outcome should never be perfection. It should never be removing all of the masks. It should never be becoming fully authentic. And the reason I say that is not a degree of negativity. It's to illustrate and to promote and to remind people that when we believe we're we're at a we've arrived, when we believe we're at a Great place. We believe we've fixed something or beyond something. That's the very time we moved into this very complacent place where it has the capacity and often does come up and bite us right in the butt and 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 remind us very strongly that actual fact we haven't removed all the mass. So yeah, I, we we you know, we go to our grave. It's just how many are you prepared to have the courage to remove between now and the day that you bite the dust or the day that you leave this earth, um, that to me is the challenge, that to me is the invitation
1: and also the opportunity. Yeah, well said. It's definitely, it's a journey, a path that we're on that's, that's never ending, just like it applies to learning uh, and every other aspect of developing ourselves. We don't we, we tend to want to reach a plateau and society kind of tells us there, but, but that's not the way it actually is if we would really want to find our true self and our true gift exactly so i'd like to go back to uh, in your personal experience as i was looking at your bio and, and your online sources that i was able to gather did you go to university
0: no i didn't It wasn't an option for me and um, you know, dyslexia. You know, made it was 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 a was a, a you know a kind of a learning disability that I had, which wasn't necessarily identified in those days. Not that I'm 105; I'm 44 years old. But in the Irish schooling system, um, they didn't have a mechanism to identify it, and therefore I just thought I was stupid and lazy. And and of course, I was reminded every single day from pretty much every single teacher in the school except one um, that, uh, that I was stupid and I was going to amount to nothing. Um, so the idea of going to university and college just was not an opportunity for me. It wasn't something. And and I, I, I wore another mask pretending I didn't want that, like telling myself that I didn't want to go on and do third level education. I wanted to go into the business world, but that really was a lie because, uh, I was trying to mask the insecurity, um, and, and quite frankly, the, the sadness of, of my friends leaving and me having to go into the working world, which I wasn't prepared for and wasn't ready for.
1: Sure. And I can understand how hard that must have been. So so tell us about going into that working world. What what, uh, types of things did you do early on after grammar school?
0: Yeah, I joined, um, I joined the very first job I had, um, you know, apart from summer jobs and stuff for like that I joined um, a, 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 a kind of distribution company in the retail sector and they had different brands like vitamin brands and, you know, healthcare brands and stuff for like that. And um, I'd love to tell you, I was, you know, some sort of sales rep or whatever, but I wasn't even a sales rep. I was um, merchandising. And so I was basically driving a van and packing shelves and following the sales reps around the country of Ireland and uh, basically, you know, making sure our, our product was on the on the, on the shelf. And and, um, you know, I look back and with 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 a lot of fond memories, I remember feeling very disjointed in that space. I remember feeling that, you know, because I followed to some extent my dad's footsteps where he was in the sales space. So I, f- I kind of just stumbled into that. Um, and I always felt that it was, wasn't something I chose to do. I felt it was something I had to do, not because my dad necessarily forced me, but it was I just felt I felt most of my life, my young life was like I didn't have any choice. I had to be Catholic. I had to go to school. I didn't have. There wasn't this environment that you could choose to be who you wanted to be you could find out who you are and therefore begin to execute and 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 honor that it was just that this is the way it is and and um you know that was that was the society i was brought up in. so packing shelves and and um slowly moving into the sales space after
1: that but you eventually went into becoming your own boss was that part of finally realizing that you could break start to break away from that
0: Not really. I mean, I'd love to tell you that, you know, it was just this realization that not just did I have the desire, but I also had the ability to become an entrepreneur. Uh, You know, it really kind of happened organically. Um, but obviously there was something in me that, you know, had the, the courage to, to step out and do my own thing at some level. I first got my first taste of entrepreneurship, if you like, through the coffee business with my brother, David, um, and, uh, David brought me into his business. Um, and we basically, you know, grew a coffee business from, from nothing to uh, which is now a very sizable business, which I'm, I'm out of at this point. Um so that gave me my first kind of insight and, and glimpse into entrepreneurship. Um, which by the way, I I I respectfully say is entrepreneurship is wonderful. Um, um but if somebody's sitting in a in a you know in a job and, and 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 they feel under pressure to be an entrepreneur, I just don't think it's everything that people sometimes make it out to be. I think sometimes um it's it just it's not quite as there's this underlying excuse me this underlying thing in society that if you own you're not successful unless you own your own business and and i and i would just like to gently and softly and and respectfully say that i just don't think that's true I, i think you can be very successful working for somebody else entrepreneurship definitely offers you other things and it can give you can give you a lot of freedom the reality is though i know a lot of entrepreneurs that do not feel free and i'm not talking about financial freedom i'm talking about feeling emotionally and mentally free of their business. They feel that they've created a business, but ultimately the business has become a prison in which they are imprisoned into and um, they've built those bars around
1: themselves. Yeah, I know. I can't disagree with you, Philip, even though I'm uh, obviously a very vocal proponent of becoming your own boss, but if you do it for all the wrong reasons, then you've just created a lower paying job for yourself that you're going to hate even more so. Uh, bang on, bang on, 100%. Do you consider yourself now an entrepreneur or a business owner? How would you class, as far as that label goes, where would you say you are?
0: You know, I, I. You know, it's funny. It's a great question. I no, I don't. It's not that I'm not an entrepreneur. I'm not a, not a business owner. And I'm not not a leader. Or I'm not not a teacher. I just don't have a specific label that I've ever put on myself. I think in a world today, I think sometimes for communication reasons and and for understanding and simplicity, I think labels can make sense. But I think actually, um, you know, I think also labels put put us put us in boxes, and they. They restrict us in many ways. So to me, someone said to me recently, what's your niche? Like, you know, what is the one piece of expertise that you have? And I, and I said, I said, I know maybe I'm not meant to say this, but I don't feel I'm an expert in anything. I know quite a few things and I'm very good in a co- coaching capacity, working with leaders and business owners, but I, I don't put a label on myself and I try not to put labels on my clients because the amount of clients that I've worked with that have pivoted and transformed into doing something completely different than if I would put a label on them from day one I think I wouldn't have been able to serve them the way I do
1: now yeah that that makes perfect sense and we'll come back to that if if time allows but you owned various businesses then, all kinds of different. You were in the wine business, a coffee business, a vitamins business. You went into real estate, and I think that might have been one of the last things you were doing because you wrote a book related to real estate, if I got that right, your first book.
0: Yeah, first two books were about real estate and, and quite frankly, and I say this with respect, <clears throat> I was telling myself, and this is very important in the entrepreneur space, are, are people moving or looking to transition from maybe a corporate sector into the into the entrepreneurial space. And that is, let's just say, let's just use a hypothetical situation, which by the way is probably very real and very, you know, represents reality for a lot of people. Let's just say you're in a job you're in a corporation, but you're just not feeling it. You just don't feel the love. You don't feel the connection. You don't, you're not getting the meaning. And while maybe you're become comforted, comfortable and used to the paycheck coming in, and there's a degree of stigma or even ego that comes with the position that you have, you know in your heart and soul it's not you. You know you're not aligned. And entrepreneurship, then you know you're on the peripheral, is is is, is starting to look more and more and more sexy, even though at the same time it's more and more and more scary. And um, what sometimes is a very critical either mistake or or thing that individuals do. I did it myself. Um, I'd love to say I did it once and learned my lesson. I probably did it a number of times and that is, I, I ended up moving into something on two basic, you know, going back to motivation, like being, you know, the authentic motivation. I wasn't aligned. I didn't know who I was. I was, I was uncertain about who Philip McKernan was. I didn't have a clue what my identity was. I didn't know what my passions were as a result of that. I moved into the real estate business for two primary reasons. One is because I told myself this story that I'd heard many, many times and believed it, that if I had the financial freedom, then I could go and do what I wanted. Then I'd have the freedom to do whatever the hell I wanted in the future. And I believe that that is fundamentally, can be fundamentally flawed. The second thing I did, and I've never articulated this in any interview I've ever done in this way, but the second thing I did was I mixed up passion and excitement. So when you're in a job that's not very fun, or that's not very exciting, if you're in a relationship that's not very fun or very exciting, when, when you see an opportunity that lies outside of that, often it represents the opposite of what you're in, or a better version of what you're in. And what we do is we tell ourselves we're passionate about it, but we're not really, we're just excited. So I was telling myself and the world that I was passionate about real estate. I wasn't passionate about real estate. I was immensely excited about real estate. I was excited about doing something different. And the, and the buzz that came with that. But I wasn't passionate about real estate, nor do I believe anybody is. And what I realized afterwards was that you cannot be passionate about bricks and mortar. It's passion, I believe, is only contained and only related and only um, synonymous with with impacting other people or connection deep emotional or mental connection in some level and maybe we'll cover some of that territory a little bit later on but they were the two fundamental flaws in my plan and of course i ended up doing real estate ended up building a real estate business and finding out fundamentally that i was misaligned and it didn't bring me the meaning I thought it would or the financial freedom. So it brought me financial income, but I didn't feel free with that money.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's making sense, Philip. And, and I think if I'm understanding correctly, it's that excitement that we might find in, uh, in starting a new business and the excitement of creating something new and closing a new deal and jumping to a whole nother business, which you did some to an extent. But that, that soon, it's like the excitement of buying a new car. Very quickly wears off and there's, there's, then you feel hollow. You feel that void again and need the next excitement.
0: Yeah, you need the next excitement or we do the classic the classic entrepreneurial uh, gig and that is just keep get even busier and busier, like do 10 more deals, not just one more deal a week, do 10 a week. And what that does is it prevents you from actually stopping and feeling. And what we do is create chaos in our lives and create busyness in our lives and overwhelm in our lives. And the reason that we do that is not because we're busy. Well, we are busy, but we do it because we're trying to hide from the emotion or the disconnect, the misalignment. We're not prepared to feel the real reality of the life that we've created, which I'm sure contains a tremendous amount of joy and love and amazing things. But are you prepared, and this is where courage comes in, is are you prepared to stop and say, hey, where am I misaligned? And am I really prepared to allow the pain of that exist or the realization of that emerge and then do something with it? And a lot of people would rather stay busy and ignore it than actually address it. But the problem is it eventually gathers momentum and hits you over the head like a steam train, whether it's through, the lens of what we commonly refer to as a midlife crisis, which I I believe is an illusion. It's just our past catching up with us. Mm -hmm. It, it, It catches up with us in our health, it catches up with our peace of mind, our mental state, our emotional state, divorce, disconnection, Um, or or in some cases bankruptcy, because that kind of influence uh, our ability to to sabotage our own individual businesses.
1: Yeah, or or even perhaps even more sadly, we we reach uh, older age and we feel miserable and sad and regretful and bitter and, and then maybe maybe too late to make too much change. Although I think the type of change you're talking about, we can make until the last day before we take our last breath. Um, mm-hmm. But you touched on something that that's uh, is, is important to come back to. I think because we have this perception. We we've been indoctrinated to an extent. I believe our education system does. Our environment does. Certainly in this part of the world where we live to think. To your point, we need to work, 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 and the rewards will come later. Even as entrepreneurs, we fall into that trap. Although it's, it's becoming a lot more, we're becoming a lot more enlightened. A lot of entrepreneurs are on that point. But to this, the same example of what you're doing now, I think we come from an environment that says, well, someday I'll retire and I'll move to Boulder instead of let's go there right now and combine both things. And I think that's something we struggle with mightily still, even as entrepreneurs
0: yeah workaholism and, and entrepreneurship is um you know is something that tends to you know come come hand in hand in a lot of occasions but you know to me you know it's it's funny that we you know we, we we look for as i've said a number of times recently is we look for intellectual answers for what i believe are emotional challenges so when someone's very very busy so i, I was at a conference recently i was at a round table dinner which i hosted the night before and and um, everyone was given this exercise 90 seconds to introduce yourself and your biggest challenge. And then the group had two and a half minutes to give you some type of insight, some sort of support or some sort of resource to help you with that. And um, the very first lady said, you know, I'm, I'm really, really busy and I just got so much on. And that's my challenge. I'm just too busy and I've got no space. And then the, the, it was really fascinating to watch the table just like machine gun fire. Oh, I've got an app you should, you should I've, I've got a book you should read. I've got a coach that focuses on productivity. I've got this. And it was just all of this intellectual solutions for what I felt was an emotional problem, our emotional challenge. And I looked at her and I said, excuse me, guys, can we just stop for a second? I just want to know, why are you busy? She goes, excuse me? I said, why are you busy? And she goes, well, because I've got a lot on. I said, yeah, but why is that? And correct me if I'm wrong. You look way too smart to not to have addressed this before. Tell me that you haven't found an app before, a productivity tool, a book or something that's told you how to say no, how to prioritize and everything else. And while it's lasted or even made an impact, ultimately what you find is you go back to this overwhelm pattern because it's deeply rooted in your psyche and you keep moving back. She's absolutely bang on. So I said, OK, great. So if that's the deep pattern, what I'm curious to know is what are you hiding from and what are you running from? Or what are you hiding from and what are, you know, maybe you can separate those two. And she looked at me and that's where the tears came up. She says, I'm afraid to find out what my real passion is, what my real gift is, because I don't want to fail doing it. I'd rather fail doing something I don't really want to do than run the risk. Now, she didn't say it exactly like that, but pretty much that's what she implied. I'd rather fail doing something I don't want to do as opposed to run the risk of uncovering my gift. And if I fail doing that, there's nothing left because that is ultimately the thing that I'm on this earth to do.
1: That, that's such a huge takeaway there, Philip. And I want to ask you, you've been all over the world. I think you've visited over 80 countries. Do you find that to be the common theme at the heart of it as to why people continue to wear these masks and aren't honest or not honest, but don't actually live their real life, don't find and act on their real gift? Is that the same thing across the world
0: I, I do, yeah. I think it is. And I think it's less prevalent in some places and it's it's more in others. But ultimately the, there's a commonality across the globe in that in that capacity. And people are afraid to allow the world to see them for who they really are because they're afraid of being judged. They don't want to be fully seen. And and the reason for that is that it, it is a perception they, they create in their heads ironically. But yet they, they I think this they, what the what's causing all this like what is the root cause of a lot of this? and a lot of the root causes, and this might sound completely alien to many, if not all of your listeners, is that a lot of people don't really like who they are and 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 also in the world of entrepreneurship and leadership and is that we mix up two things just because you're good at what you do and you appear to be confident whether you genuinely are or not is a, is a different a- argument. but just because you're good at what you do, it doesn't mean you like who you are. so I don't care what entrepreneur you you take, I don't care what business leader, what famous artist, what celebrity, everybody in this earth suffers from a lack of value in their own skin. They might be perceived as being the most incredibly valued person on this earth by millions and adored by billions, but it doesn't mean they like who they are when they look in the mirror, lie, lie in bed at night uh, with their eyes closed. So if you don't really like who you are, the problem is two things, or a number of things actually. Number one in no particular order is, you don't really like who you are, so therefore you don't really trust who you are. Number two is you therefore don't listen to your intuition, you don't trust your gut, so you move into an intellectual space. And three is you don't give yourself what you feel you deserve, or in some cases you do give yourself what you feel you deserve, but because you don't have a very high opinion of yourself for whatever reason, what ends up happening is you end up playing small in this world and, you know, controlling the impact you could make in your own life and other people's around you because you don't really feel you deserve it. A lot of people don't find really amazing relationships, not because there's not more women or men in the world, not because there's not more dating sites in the world, not because all the bars in their town have closed down, because it's some deep, 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 deep level. They have this story that, you know what, really they don't deserve to be loved. They don't really think that they can find it, that they're kind of broken. And I know that might sound dramatic, and I know some people would disagree with, or maybe a lot of people, but I promise you with all the work I've done, and I'm now very fortunate, and not that it should matter, but I'm working with some of the most influential people in the world, but they have exactly the same challenges. Exactly the same challenges. And the reason I use, I work with so few of them is most of them don't have the courage or, 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 or you know, to, to admit that they've got these challenges because it's not cool. They've been put up onto a pedestal and that's where they feel they need to be. That's where society has placed them and that's where they've allowed them to self-decept. They can't be seen not to have confidence. They can't be seen to, re- to share with the world they don't have peace of mind. They can't allow themselves to share their truth and take the mask off that maybe they're not as happy as they pretend to be on Facebook every day. It's just not cool. So, so to me, the real root cause of a lot of this is just, it's our relationship to ourselves that's the most important relationship in the world and a lot of us haven't reconciled that we don't understand our identity we don't understand who we are and therefore we're wondering why we haven't found our passion that's why
1: yeah fascinating so if i understood it correctly in your path you found yourself on vacation in sri lanka and a lot of things came to a head there but before. I ask you if I have that right and tell us about that. What were you doing for a living then? Where were you making your income at that point in time?
0: If my memory's correct, and that's, uh, wow, that's uh, 14, 15 years ago or so. Uh, if my memory's correct, I was in the coffee business with my brother. Okay. And um, yeah, that, if, that, if my memory's correct in
1: that one. So that was the time frame there. So you're in Sri Lanka on vacation. If I got it right, you were at a five-star resort or hotel. And tell us about what happened and the epiphany that, that you had, if I understood correctly.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we, it was the first time we'd ever left Ireland for Christmas. Uh, we found ourselves at, um, you know, on, on New Year's Eve, I believe it was, um, it was New Year's Eve, actually, uh, sorry, sorry, excuse me, Christmas Eve um, in this beautiful hotel. And um, I just had this really uneasy feeling and I and I obviously knew about the tsunami. And that's part of the reason why we went to Sri Lanka, because we said, okay, so as, as, as many, many millions of tourists evacuated and stayed away from India and Sri Lanka and all the places that were hit and slammed by this tsunami. I said, what can we do? Rather than giving money, why don't we go and travel there and and show in our own little way, maybe just, you know, a vote of confidence and, and, um, and bring some stimulus back into the, into the country. And we went to Sri Lanka, left Ireland for the first time ever at Christmas, uh, found herself in this hotel, And I basically just was so uneasy because as I drove around the countryside, I realized it looked like the tsunami had literally hit the day before, minus the many, many thousands of bodies that had obviously been cleared away. Um, In other words, the place was still devastated. And I remember feeling this real unease of me in this five star hotel and I was making pretty good money at the time and building equity in a business and so on and so forth and just feeling really uneasy. And, uh, I remember getting up in the morning, continuing to feel uneasy, went for a walk down the beach and I don't know what the heck turtles have got to do with anything, but there was two Mm -hmm. big turtles in the water. I waded into the water and I just walked back out of the water and I just knew I had to leave the hotel. And without boring you with all the details and your listeners, but we found ourselves driving and driving and driving and driving, um, couldn't find accommodation anywhere, and eventually found one place with one room left and uh, bumped into a lady who basically had created – a non uh, on the back of the tsunami that she was there a year previously and got exposed to an orphanage for the day on on what we call Boxing Day or uh, in Ireland's day, Stevens's day, and um, spent a day in an orphanage, and that fundamentally shifted who I was. Now, it didn't land on the day. I knew something had changed in my soul when I walked out of that orphanage. Something had really shifted in me, and it was probably the Many years bubbling around and bubbling up and not being satisfied in different things. And I think that was the catalyst, the straw that broke the camel's back, whatever you want to call it. But I'd love to tell you I had the wisdom and the insight and the awareness and the intelligence to, to, to link it all together at that moment. It's only looking back in hindsight, I realized what had happened. Sure. And, and, and from that moment forward, I knew, I knew in my heart and soul I had to transition and I had to transform and I had to change my life.
1: And so that's what led to what you currently, I guess, goes by the label of the Philip McKernan movement. But so when did you segue into that, not just as a platform and helping others, but really, I think, is this now your primary quote unquote business or do you still have other businesses?
0: This is it. Uh, In fact, we just liquidated any other bits and pieces that we had in terms of real estate in the last couple of weeks. Um, We where our sole focus is, is creating a, um, an environment um, and in different ways to help people you know really get in touch with who they are and cover their gift and, and realign and transition or sometimes pivot you know, the lives they live in order to move into the spaces and, and give them and nurture and, and give themselves permission to do what they want to do. That's what we do full time. And that's what I, all I will do full time for the rest of my life. How I do it will change. Um, and I'd, I'm going back to the Sri Lanka thing. I'd love to tell you, I left that, I left Sri Lanka and I just, I executed I didn't, I was still so scared. I still had so many challenges and worries and fears and everything else. And that's something I'd like to tell be really clear about is sometimes people have this perception that I suddenly woke up, I realized what my passion was, I executed on it, and everything's been rosy ever since. That's just not the case. Um, It was years later, maybe I'm really slow, years later before I finally, finally, the pain of not doing what I'm on this earth to do caught up with me in such a dramatic way for me personally. And I remember just saying, shit, you know, the pain of not doing what I'm here to do is so insurmountable that I have to honor myself and um, and, and just do it.
1: Yeah, no, I, I can understand that. And we'll come back to that topic of fear here, depending on time. But I, I wanna start obviously talking about the movie and the other things that you do. The movie is just an expression, obviously, of this idea, this concept. And in the, sh- in the movie, you show very eloquently a group that you take to India to go through this experience. And so it's very wonderfully done and very impactful. Uh, not to mention beautiful to watch. I loved it. Thank you. I'd like to start with, we've been talking about it and around it, this concept of finding your gift. I would love for you to to define that. What does that mean?
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, You know, to me, and and the reason that I, I love the word gift and not just the word but i love what what gift invokes in me and, and potentially evokes in other people is that it's taking the concept of passion and i believe and this is my perspective so people don't necessarily have to agree with that i believe it's kind of deepening it the challenge with the word passion is we're now slapping it on everything we're slapping it on bottles of wine we're slapping it on motorbikes we're slapping it on bicycles we're slapping it on real estate we so the amount of people are saying i want to find my passion or this is my passion and people are saying now I'm passionate about you know widgets, and I'm passionate about donkeys, and I'm passionate about goldfish, and I'm passionate about all this other stuff. And that, and and I don't mean that to be derogatory or condescending. What what I'm saying is that you know if we're so passionate about all these other things, I think what, what's happening is the concept of passion is being diluted. And there's so many people in the world today that are saying they're passionate about this, that, and the other. And when I sit in front of them and get a chance to really quiz them and go deep, it turns out they're not really passionate about that thing. They're passionate about something else. Or they're passionate about some other element within the confines of what they're saying they're passionate about, if this makes any sense. So what I wanted to do is really deepen the conversation beyond the concept of passion. And that's where I came up with this idea of. Gift, which is not, I wouldn't say, is uniquely Philip McKernan. I've coined lots of different phrases and concepts and philosophies, but the gift is something that I believe we all have. We've all, it's all inherently built in within us. We've all born with it. And how I would define our gift is, our gift is our inherent ability to help somebody move the needle in their own life, in an emotional, somewhat mental, and maybe even physical, but particularly in the emotional space. And that is our ability to really make people feel special. And if you're thinking, okay, this is very woo woo, this is very fluffy, this is whatever, let me kind of go a little bit deeper than that. Um, If I had to describe humanity, I would say that there's two things I know to be absolutely true in humanity, that everybody in the world wants to help people, that they wanna give back, they wanna make an impact. Now, it doesn't often appear that way. Sometimes people appear to be actually being more destructive than anything else, but I really do believe that. And I used to think that was BS, but I really do believe everyone wants to give back in some capacity. If you get to the core, because a lot of people say, okay, I want to impact, but I don't know how. I want to impact and I want to help people, but I have no idea where to start. Well, where it asks you to start is the pain that you yourself experience. What is the pain that you've experienced yourself that you would like to either fast track somebody else through or eliminate for somebody else? That to me, is of all the years research, all the traveling, all the many thousands of people I've worked with personally in a coaching capacity or spoken to around the world, that to me is what I believe our gift is. And really what I'm saying in addition to that is I'm saying that if we've experienced pain, which almost every human in the world has, there is some type of gift in the pain, as much as people don't want to hear that. And that means your pain has a purpose. It has an outlet. It has. You may not want to have experienced it, You may not like it. You may not like that part of your story. But the fact is you lived it. And now you have an opportunity to take that pain and and build a purpose around it. So you can help other people, if nothing else, to know that they are not alone and that they are not broken, and that you're, you know, there's somebody else out there that has experienced that, and you're here to support them. And that, to me, is an invitation and and, and, a, and a serious challenge for people.
1: Yeah, and and this that point here that you're describing is in part what makes our gift unique, right? Our lens, our unique perspective of it, as you explain in the movie. That's that's the Part the part that only I can bring to it. Correct. And
0: the one, you know, people, and this is where I, I, I love the fact that we have, you know, let's just call them heroes. And we look up to people in the world and we have business iconic heroes that we look up to and everything else. And great. But I, I just I, I I, ask and I advise and I support and I challenge people to take those people off a pedestal. Still respect them, but don't see them as something that you're not. Don't see them as above you. Don't fall in love with their story. Fall in love with yours. And people say to me, but but, Philip, I don't have a dramatic story. Philip, I don't have a, a, a rags to riches to to to, you know, story. I don't have that. Uh, Bull, you've, you've got the most extraordinary story in the world, and the reason it's the most extraordinary story in the world is because it is yours, and if it's not, what you're basically saying is you're not accepting who you are, you're not accepting your path, you haven't accepted your personal narrative, and therefore, I think you are still wearing masks, and you're not prepared to show up and be seen, and to allow yourself to do the work that you're meant to on this earth.
1: And it's simply a matter of connecting on a personal one-on-one basis, eye-to-eye eye, with someone to impart that gift.
0: Yes. People think that impact is, oh my God, who might impact? I mean, look what Mark Zuckerberg, did, or Zuckerberg has done. I'm not saying what he's done is wrong. What I'm saying is it's so publicized, it's so enormous, giving billions of dollars a share over shares of his, his lifetime away. When people see that, the psychology, the research, all of the research shows that that doesn't encourage other people to give. That actually makes many, many people want to shy away. And the reason being is they say, but well, I can't compete with that. How is my $100 to a school or an orphanage or whatever, the church, whatever you want to, wherever, whatever your gig is, how is that going to compete? Or even more importantly, more devastating or more sad is the fact that what's happening in the world today is we're writing checks as opposed to putting ourselves in the firing line and, and, and going out there, rolling up our sleeves and actually giving back with our time and with our own presence and with our own story. And, and that's been eroded in society. And, and that to me is a sad thing because I've created a platform. And I've proved that I've created a platform where I put people who have never spoken in their lives before on a stage to share their one last talk. And in 15 minutes, they've got to share the one last talk they'll ever give. And it is beyond extraordinary, Henry, to watch these people deliver their their speech, show how it impacts the audience, but then to get off that stage and go, oh, my God, like, did I did I really do that? Did, did my story really impact people? I didn't think it had any, any value. Yeah. So what you're saying, if my story didn't have value, I didn't have value, which goes back to my very per most personal point I made 20, 30 minutes ago is that really the biggest challenge in the, at the core of all of this is we don't really love who we are. We don't really like who we are. We don't have a whole lot of self-respect and we don't believe in ourselves in amongst believing in other things as well. And that to me is the greatest challenge in humanity today.
1: Yeah, great stuff, great stuff. So Philip, at the beginning of the documentary, you put up a quote from Pablo Picasso. I'm a big Pablo Picasso fan of read a couple of his biographies and understand a little bit about him. But the quote is this, quote, the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. Now immediately what struck me before I kind of dove into it is, okay, but wait a second, that's, that's easy for Pablo to have said and interesting that you chose that quote and I'll ask you about that in a moment. But I know for a fact that Pablo was a wealthy man, enjoyed the riches of his art, lived rather lavishly, relatively speaking. He was one of the first artists, in fact, who was famous and wealthy within his own lifetime. Um, So why did you choose that quote? And what does it mean to you?
0: Well, I was attracted to the quote, and, and, and not necessarily the man himself. And, you know, I don't know much about his history. The quote just struck me very deeply. And rather than putting in one of my own quotes, which sounded or felt very self-serving, um, I just decided to use an external quote that 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 kind of spoke to what we were trying to um, achieve in the film. I understand. And the, invita- yeah. and the invitation we're trying to achieve in the, in the film. But just going back to your points, so you obviously have researched Pablo in, in, in great detail, or you have an interest in him, and, and it's a wonderful a wonderful insight. What you might find is, and this is, this is just something that came up for me, and this might, mean, this might make so much sense, Henry, I might go completely sideways, I don't know. But what you might find is someone like Pablo Picasso didn't find his gift and went to his grave, maybe with regret, and maybe he, he, he lavished in his wealth and his success and everything else, but he didn't necessarily... Find the gift. And what do I mean by that? Like w- w- why am I saying that? And then and, and ultimately is he then therefore really inauthentic, if that's even a possibility, in writing such a quote. There is a there's a huge amount of wisdom and and truth in this in this fact. And that is, we often seek, teach, or promote the very thing that we didn't find ourselves. And I had a client on, my, on a call the other day um, who left, uh, left Wall Street, um, you can imagine the money that this guy was on, so money wasn't a problem, but he just wasn't satisfied in doing what he was, what, what he was doing. And the biggest struggle he has right now is, if I had to sum it up in one word, is purpose, is understanding not just intellectually but emotionally connecting with what is per- his purpose in this earth. What his purpose is, and I know this to be absolutely true with all the conversations we've had, is his purpose in this earth is to help people find theirs. And the reason that that runs so deep in him is because he knows the pain. He knows what it feels like to not have purpose, to do something for 10 or 15 years purely based on financial reward rather than purpose. The challenge for him, and I'm hoping this is making some type of sense, the challenge for him is that he feels like a bit of a fraud. He says, no, I need to figure out my purpose before I have the right to help other people with theirs. That's not true. I believe that actually he is probably better qualified than a coach um, that has trained in purpose and mission or whatever, because he has lived with the pain of not knowing his purpose. Am I making any sense Uh, here, Henry?
1: Absolutely. I'm I'm with you all the way in, in, in complete agreement. And if we uh, wrap it up on picasso in particular again i'm no picasso scholar but i think you're dead on that he was wearing masks funny enough no pun intended but he did a lot of masks yeah. with ceramics he if you read about him he definitely was an unhappy person till the end he had horrible relationships with his ex, uh, number of wives his children he was very disconnected in that regard but i think we're where he he's a good example of someone who was very good at he was an artist and he put that forth. And when he did his art, he was very genuine, but not in his in his own life. The reason I brought up That's the quote and this question is where I want to begin to wrap it up on is this balance that as an entrepreneur and business owner, when we hear this type of stuff, which is all makes sense and is wonderful, we sometimes can take it as meaning we should abandon our business and go help an orphanage in Sri Lanka. But the reality is that we can't, do that if we've got bills to pay and children to take care of and maybe i'm completely missing the point but i think what you're saying is we can balance both things
0: Yes, <clears throat> yes, and no. I mean, for some people, it does require them uh, eventually to, you know, you know, to, to to move away from the very thing they're doing. Uh, you know, I, I would put that. I always have that on the table. I, I don't think that's something that should be dismissed. I think that should be on the table for conversation. They don't have to act upon it. They don't have to burn their business down, sell it, give it away. Because what on, uh, ends up happening is often that situation is they 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 create such a vacuum in their life that like, sends them into this kind of spiral of not knowing this, you know, this lack of identity, lack of purpose, and it creates even and exaggerates an even an even bigger gap in their life, and it's very very hard to, to come back to that. But what I would love people to do is is to you know let go. I, th- I think the challenge, Henry, for a lot of people is they've, they their their identity is tied so deeply to what they do in the world today. So when you go to a dinner party, it's not hey how you doing who you know tell me a bit about yourself. You go I'm an accountant great you know, i I'm a, I'm a solicitor or you know i'm a software engineer so much of what we do has now become you know you know who we are and i think that we lose a lot of ourselves in in that so what i'm asking entrepreneurs to do and and business leaders to do or people who are looking to become entrepreneurs to do is, is don't put everything on hold and get rid of all the things you're doing if you're in, out of alignment, but to carve out some space to dream of the possibilities, to allow yourself to craft, you know, ideas and concepts, to create some space to, to give, to, to give back, to, to honor that passion. You don't have to monetize it. So, for example, if I can contextualize it back to myself, when I was in the coffee business, and this is something very few people know about me, they just think I turned up in the coaching world, decided it was a business for me, or I was passionate about it, or whatever. I was coaching people for free. And people don't know that about me. For years, I was coaching people. I'd meet them in a local pub in a quiet area upstairs, and they would work with me for six weeks. I would meet them for 45 minutes to an hour once a week for six weeks. And they would pay me, and I would give that money to a charity. So, in other words, there was a value on it. I did that because I absolutely love people. I did that because I wanted to help the world. I never imagined for one second that I would be basically, this would be what I do full time and I do it around the world now. So what I'm saying is, when I was doing the coffee business, I didn't kill the coffee business, I kept doing it. But just carve out some space to begin to act, like execute the talent in the business if that's what your business is, 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 is around but also carve out some space to honor the gift and to dream and to play with what that gift might be. That's all I'm asking right now. Yeah. But the problem is today we have these extremes. Oh, you're saying kill my business. My business brings me all the income for my bills and, and go and just you know work in an orphanage somewhere. Well, that's easy, Philip, for you to say, or we go the other extreme, I don't have the space and I fill all the gaps and everything else. All I'm asking you to do is, is there somewhere in the middle where you can carve out some space and play Don't take it so serious. Play with what's possible. What do I not see? What do I not want to see? And where could I give back? Where could I tell my story? Where could I go go into a school and just do a talk, which I'd recommend everybody does. And share your vulnerability. And, And just without any desire and big... Big, huge goal attached to it. Just go and give and see what emerges. It will shock you or surprise you in its significance or in its subtleties.
1: Yeah, I, I get it completely and I completely agree with you. And and that's it's about creating these spaces now and doing these things, even if it's a little bit of a, at a time, even if it's just in your local community. You don't have to go, totally. as you say in the movie, you don't have to go to India to, to give your gift or to find who you are. Um, But what we don't want to do is to wait until sometime in the future, until we retire, quote unquote. That's where we end up then feeling miserable and that weight builds and builds and builds and we we never get there. Exactly. So you end uh, the movie with a quote that I loved. It's quote, your real legacy is what you give this world, not what you leave it, end quote. And what it meant to me was that the impact we really have, what we leave behind. I've always thought about this because I'm not a particularly religious person. When my grandfather died, for example, he was the first meaningful person in my life to die uh, at a younger age uh, for me. And I always thought that what he left was the impact that he had on us, the the way that he was with us, his love for us, that impacted us, and that's what remains. Not the material things that he may or, or may not have left behind, not money or a business or things, but that impact, that connection that he made with me is what he really left behind. And I think that's what it means. Am I on to it? Going on, 100%. 100%. So, um, so we start to wrap it up, various questions. I mean, I could go on for another couple hours. So this has been fantastic, Philip. I appreciate you being with us. Uh, but let me ask you this question I tend to ask most people. What do you love most about what you do today?
0: Um, what do I love most? Uh, I have
1: to say the, the
0: the the feedback from the clients. And I don't mean that in an egotistical, self-serving way. When I see the joy, and I'm not suggesting, and I'm not trying to portray here, by the way, every client that I touch turns to gold and everything's perfect because it's not. But the joy, when I hear back the real changes um, and almost their surprise when they say things to me like "Philip, I always thought I was really connected to my wife or in some cases their husbands. Um, I never imagined my relationship could be better than it is um, I never imagined I could become the father that I am now that I would allow myself that space to do that i can 't believe that i'm i 'm doing work that i that I love I never ever imagined that would happen when I hear things like that 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 moves me in a way that I actually quite can't put words to um, it moves me to just in a very emotional place right quite frankly and there's no dollar figure that can ever repay that so that to me is the greatest joy I get and that is my fuel to move forward and do what I do every single day with with courage and um, and persistence
1: oh, that's fantastic so the movie I found it on your website and just uh, bought it and watched it online is that what you where you would like people to go to if they're interested in watching the documentary
0: yeah, philipmckernan.com is my main website, and then giveandgrow.com is the uh, the documentary. And if nothing else, just go to giveandgrow.com and just even just watch the trailer. And if you're drawn to it, wonderful. If you're not, you know that's I respect that as well. So that that'll be the main places that people can connect.
1: Absolutely, and we'll have links to that in the show notes page. And I assure you, if you watch the trailer, you're going to watch want to watch the movie. The trailer is beautifully done as well, uh, and there's a lot to take away just from the trailer. So it's worth watching even if it's just that. So we'll have. Links to that on the show notes page at thehowabusiness.com. I'm always interested in book recommendations, Philip. Is there a book that comes to mind? I don't care what the subject is, fa- um, fiction or not fiction, something you would recommend to our audience.
0: Well, this is where I either recommend my own book or I recommend somebody else's book, but I'm actually going to do neither. And uh, what I would love people to do, and I just, and I mean this with tremendous respect, and it's a challenge and it's an invitation, is just for a short space of time in 2017, carve out a week or a month or even two months not to read any books whatsoever, and just to go and take a journal and create some space in your own life and bring wisdom out. What the wisdom I'm most interested in the world today is, with respect, is less of the wisdom that are found in books in and libraries and, and, and on Amazon and everything else, in which there's t- tons and one, some wonderful books. I'm not knocking books. But what I'm really, really, really fascinated is the wisdom that can come out of people when they tell their stories, when they write their one last talk, which is a little exercise I do with uh, if you were given 15 minutes to give your one last talk to the world, what would you say? And what you'll find is even just taking a journal and doing that exercise, what you'll find out, you'll find more about yourself, you'll find more, you'll understand more about who you are at the core, what your identity is, what matters most to you than you will from any book on the planet as far as I'm concerned. So if you don't mind me suggesting for the moment I would not recommend a book and I would not recommend somebody else's story, I would recommend writing your own story, uh, albeit even in a short
1: format in a a journal. Yeah, I I love that recommendation. And I think it it probably goes without saying, when you do carve out that time, it needs to be quiet time. It needs to be uninterrupted time, right? So put our devices down and, and really give ourselves some space to think totally. Wonderful. Love that. So final parting thought piece of advice. Keep in mind again, who we're speaking to with my audience is people who are aspiring to become entrepreneurs or existing small business owners like myself. And in this conversation, if they've gotten to this point, it is because this has resonated with them and they're trying to strike that balance. They're not going to shut down their business tomorrow. They're probably not even going to give up on their dream of owning their own business because it's tied to a lot of where they want to go in their lives. But final final piece of advice or thought for that audience.
0: Yeah, I didn't expect this to come out of me, but I just shared this with a gentleman over coffee this morning is I would love you to, uh, this is for anybody who's willing to take on this little exercise. Um, I would love you to take out a, a piece of paper, a blank canvas, a piece of paper again in quiet space uh, you know space space not 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 when you're in between phone calls and emails and i would love you to just actually draw or paint the 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 uh, draw draw a, a, a representation of, of what's possible those two words so let those two words to ring in your ear what's possible for your life but i would like you to do it in an isolated manner in other words i call this isolated dreaming and trust me it's a wonderful exercise if you're open to taking it on so just carve out some space do a drawing not a, not words an actual drawing I don't care if it's stick man and it's a crappy drawing or whatever, stop the judgment, just go for it. And what I'd like you to do, if you're married with two kids, forget about your kids for a moment, forget about your wife, forget about your husband. If you've got a a business, forget about your business. If you live in Boulder, forget about Boulder. And the reason I say that is when we start to take and consider and dream what's possible for our lives and visualize what's possible for our lives, what we do is we look at it through the lens of what we already do, where we already live, what we already know. And I appreciate those things are part of your life, but the problem is they create confusion because then you're starting to look and say, okay, well, how, how do I... Consider what's possible, knowing what I know now. That is so limiting. It it confines you and restricts you automatically. So what I'd love you to do is just to do a drawing of of just use use two words, what's possible, and dream. And it's not like five or ten years out. Something that, you know, that maybe is a tr- three years out. And just see what comes. It is fascinating, some of the stuff that has come out for people when they've done that exercise. Then... When you get clear on what it is you want, then you bring the people in your life back into the into the frame and say, okay, now how do I position this with them or or whatever? But it's it's an amazingly clarifying and potentially very powerful exercise for people to do that I've done a number of times.
1: Fascinating. I, I don't want to I'm almost um not wanting to ask this question because I don't want to put any parameters to it, but immediately when you were describing it, I'm thinking, okay, so I draw just myself or can I draw myself in a setting or does it matter
0: and you, you just draw the setting but i what i would ask you to leave your children and your family in right. your case your one child and, and, and your 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 wife or partner out of the equation exactly. um and just it's it's you in an environment doing whatever it is you feel like you want to do or should be doing or wanted like what you're you know what you're destined to do whatever yeah. and and just and again just removing those people from your life and uh and just temporarily and um, it, it, it can be, I mean, all I can tell you is I've done it so many times, uh, a number of times with a lot of uh, business people and, and, and leaders and entrepreneurs and small business owners and they've just, uh, some of the stuff that's come out has just shocked and surprised them. Yeah, I can believe it.
1: Wonderful exercise, great idea. Thanks for sharing that with us. Philip, this has been a uh, wonderful conversation, enlightening, interesting, challenging. I wish we had another couple hours to chat. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today.
0: Yeah. Thanks, Henry. And if I may just, just add one little thing and it's, well, it's not a little thing. It's a big thing, but I'll just do it very quickly Is I I also want to respect you. Um, you know, I noticed a number of times during the interview that you're willing to go to a place of admitting that you yourself have challenges and that everything's not perfect and everything else. And as a podcast host and as a a leader in that space and as somebody that's putting himself out there, uh, I just want to acknowledge that uh, because that is something that, A lot of people in your position wouldn't do so I just want to acknowledge that I think that's a very courageous um, and and to me that's what real leadership is all about
1: I appreciate that thank you so much
0: okay take care
1: folks this is Henry Lopez you've been listening to the how of business thank you for joining us on this episode if you're listening to us on stitchers stitcher or iTunes rather we would appreciate and welcome you subscribing to our show And we look forward to having you join us on the next episode of The How of Business.
0: Thank you for listening to The How of Business with David Begin and Henry Lopez. We hope you found practical ideas to help you start, manage, and grow your business. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave a comment on iTunes and go by levantebusinessgroup.com and learn more about Levante's resources to help you with your small business. Until next time, thanks for listening
1: and go live your dream.